in the world of AI news, I wanted to share with you something that came out very recently, just a couple of days ago, about four in the morning yesterday to be exact. A guy by the name of Sam Altman, 38 years old, he's the CEO of OpenAI. This article, in a nutshell, is him backtracking from what he just recently said back in September, August, September, questions were just flying about AI taking over the world. And so this guy who is the CEO of a major AI company, one of the big talking heads, confirmed when he said, we've put safeguards in place to make sure the upcoming election year will not be controlled or manipulated by AI. That's what he said in this article. But in the August and September thing, he said, when everybody was talking about if, if the artificial, artificial intelligence is going to take over the world, he said, essentially, it could kill us all. He didn't say it that way, but he basically said it could wipe out humankind. So they're putting safeguards in place to make sure that doesn't happen, which implies it could. So it put the world on alert that, oh my goodness, these crazy movies could become a reality. Robots could take over the world and kill all humankind. That's what this 38-year-old said back in August, September. We're going to put safeguards in place to make sure that doesn't happen. But then, just recently in this one, he backtracked and said, no, 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 it's not as aggressive as we think. But we have put the safeguards in place I talked about before to make sure that the election that's coming up isn't controlled or manipulated by AI, which should send everyone into another panic because that implies it could. It also implies it might already have. That's alarming. So let's talk about more comforting news. We're gonna talk about what the Bible says and it's good information. Beyond artificial intelligence, when things don't make sense, God's word still does. Whatever the talking heads out there are saying, whatever the news agencies are saying, whatever you're seeing on social media, there's nothing that makes more sense than this book right here. And there is no greater place to look for specific tidbits of wisdom than in Proverbs. So we're in Proverbs chapter 11. And I want to remind you, we brought this up last week, something, but here's the title of the message. Integrity, humility, righteousness, responsibility, accountability, and more. If it bothers you to see all these words like this and then and more, you're going to have to get over it because the next several weeks are going to have this and more or and much more because we, we cover like 30 verses at a time. And that, that's very hard to make that palatable in a Sunday morning message, but we're going to try it. If you'll remember last week, I said that Proverbs chapters 10 to 24 are each compilations of short, sometimes unrelated Proverbs of Solomon. Repentance is implored, encouraged, and required, and we'll, we'll, we're going to highlight that a little bit today. I will remind you of last week. We started in Proverbs chapter 10. The first part of verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon. It's because God inspired Solomon to write these, to record these, to document what he already had, and some came from others. But for the next several weeks, if the Lord permits, we'll be going through Solomon's, his own Proverbs. So chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. I want to talk about specifics in this particular verse. First, I want to show you a diagram. Some of you will recall learning the concept of the lever and fulcrum. Some of you, you don't even know what that is about. I say lever and fulcrum, I'm like, what is that? That's what you're looking at behind me. This is an animation of a man who is lifting a lot more weight than he could normally lift. 
because of the concept of the lever and the fulcrum. The fulcrum is the triangle, you see it labeled up behind me. It's got a pivot point, and the lever is the seesaw that is on top of the fulcrum. And if you adjust it correctly, you can, you can take a lot less pressure effort on the chart behind me to actually do a lot more work. If you leverage correctly, you can get that done. That's the concept of the lever and fulcrum. Raise your hand if you already knew all that. Okay, of course you did. Well, I know you did. <laughs> Many of you did. So that's good, I'm so glad. You came to school already educated. But let me talk to you about the specific that the scripture is talking about, and that is the scales. You'll see the scales come up behind me. These particular scales, if this is how you're going to negotiate in getting stuff. So if instead of going to the store, you hand money to a cashier, if what you do is you have to use these scales to determine what you're buying, or maybe use the scales to determine the value of what you're trading, whatever it is, the scales are what you're using to make the transactions. If you go up to a scale that is off like this to start, there's a problem. You understand this, right? That means the scales are not balanced. And when the scripture is speaking here of a false balance, what it's talking about is people that are cheating. They have scales that are leveraged in their favor so that when you determine what you're going to barter or trade or buy or sell, they're going to make it a little bit off so that they have an advantage against you and they're going to cheat you out of what you have. That is unbalanced. It is unfair. And it disgusts our Father in heaven when people are cheating other people. It's disgusting to God. That's something that I wanted to highlight in this first verse. I want to talk to you about specifics. This is about four things here. First of all, it's about cheating and unfairness. Our Heavenly Father deplores cheating and unfairness. It's not okay. And it might be playful in a game where you're just playfully doing things, but when it comes to life, nobody should be cheating or being unfair. Second thing it's about is honesty and fairness. <laughs> and of course, fairness is the antithesis of unfairness. It's about integrity and character. God expects us to have integrity. He expects us to be people of character. And when it comes down to it, understand this clearly. This is about pleasing the Lord. Pay attention to the last part of that verse but a just weight is his delight. God hates it when people are cheating, being dishonest and unfair, but he loves it when people are being fair and honest, people of integrity and character. It pleases the Lord. And if you live your life in such a way that you know you're pleasing the Lord, you will have more peace and more joy. Verse 2, when pride comes... Then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. When you think of historical figures in recent history, maybe a person would come to mind who exemplifies arrogance. Here's a character that I actually admired and looked up to as a youth, Muhammad Ali, who many people today say he was the greatest, but he himself certainly said he was the greatest. And I know it was a marketing thing. I know he liked to try to intimidate his opponents, but he frequently and regularly would tell everyone that he is the greatest of all time, the greatest that would ever be. That's what he always did. He was quite the showman, full of himself for sure. Let me show you a picture of Muhammad Ali as he was receiving an award from one of our presidents. 
Notice the hand that is on his arm. Did anybody see this when he received this award? I did see it. It was, my, my gut just turned. I, I just felt horrible. Muhammad Ali lived his last years unable to take care of himself. Some people say it had everything to do with the multiple concussions. Probably did. But if you want a visual image of this scripture, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, this is it. Understand that if you are full of yourself, even if you've been working hard at your job to do all right, you've been putting in the extra time and the extra hours and everything seems to be working out really well and you could pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did, be careful. Because if you are arrogant, disgrace is coming. Understand that you don't have anything that you have except for the grace of God. Only by the grace of God have you been allowed to see any success, even if you poured everything you've got into it. I hope you get that. By the way, since we're talking about the greatest, if you want to talk about the greatest, if you're talking about fighters, rarely do you hear me stand up here and say, this is my opinion. I'm going to, get it. I'm going to give it. Here's a, here's a photo. Look up behind me. Does anybody know who that is? Raise your hands high. That is Fedor Emelianenko. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. In my personal opinion, he was the greatest. And he's still alive. I share this with you because he's a dedicated Christian, and I love seeing Christians who are humble. This guy, if you Google his fights, you will see he was never, ever arrogant. But he dominated. Okay, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 again. Let's look at it closely. But I, wanna, I want you to understand, with the humble is wisdom. If you're humble, that is wise. People will respect and admire the humble, not the arrogant. In fact, what people do when they watch the arrogant is they cheer on those that are against them. Those showmen, those people that are so prideful, we love to see them lose. So does God. James chapter 4, verse 10, the New Testament book of wisdom, says something about this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Understand your place with God. You are His servant. Keep that in mind. Keep humble, and He will lift you up. Now we're going to move to verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. This is talking about three concepts here. Responsibility accountability, and consequences. Something that is so foreign in these modern times, it's nuts. Here we open up the book of wisdom in the world to the book of wisdom in the Old Testament contained within it. So a place that we'd want to focus on if we want to really get God's wisdom. And we discover responsibility, accountability, and consequences throughout the entire book. That's, that's a, a theme that just runs through Proverbs. But it is a theme that I find quite absent in all these people, and I shouldn't say all, in most of these people with whom I have worked within the prison system. They're lacking responsibility, accountability, and consequences. And you might say, well, pfft, Come on, Pastor. They, they're in prison. There's consequences right there. Re- let me remind you. In prison, you get really good food. I, I paid for it. I, I paid to eat what they ate while I was there. Um, it's good food. I enjoyed it. They get free clothing. They get free health care, free dental, free vision, They get actually optional health care as well, extras that we don't get to get with our health care. 
Um, they also get tablets when they first get there. They get to play games and while they are there, enjoy life. If you think that's all consequences, I think you don't understand. Responsibility, accountability, and consequences. I remember when one of our children brought a friend. We, this friend was not taught like most of us were taught. Whatever food is put in front of you, you eat it or you go hungry. That's life. And we don't live in that world today. The way it works now is parent puts food on the table and the kid goes, I don't want it. So then the parent gets something else. How about this? I don't want that either. And they just keep going and going and going until they get exactly what they want. And then they grow up becoming an adult who will not eat what you serve them when they come over for dinner because they're used to whatever they're in the mood for is what they want. Oh, they like those other foods, but they've been trained. They're going to get what they want every time. <clears throat> One of these kids came over to our house, and he, we didn't have the cereal that this child wanted. So I took my son and this child to the store to go get some cereal this child wanted. And I said, as we go in, because I could just tell there, there needed to be parameters, and I said, when we go in, we don't touch anything. Unless you have the money to pay for it, you don't touch it. Because if you touch it, you might break it, and then I have to pay for it. Don't touch anything. And we go in the store, and this kid starts pushing every cereal box that he sees. I said, stop. Don't touch anything. And he looked at me and kept pushing. I said, okay, we're going back. So we put back what we had grabbed on the shelf, and we walked out the front of the store. And this child began crying. I said, I'm sorry, you lost that option. We went home, and guess what? He ate what was put in front of him. And I'd love to be able to tell you the next time I took him to the store, he didn't touch anything. No, it happened again. Took him to the store, he started touching everything. We had to put everything back, and we walked out the store. I wish I had a better ending for you, but I don't. <laughs> Responsibility, accountability, and consequences, that's what this, these verses are talking about, and it's all through Proverbs. So let's go, ahead and, let's go ahead and just flesh this out a little bit. Up behind me, you're going to see those words, but there's also a, a division. They are divided. The green is the good, and the red is the bad. Say green, go, red, stop. I want to talk to you about things that a sage would teach. That would be a wise person like Solomon. And then things that a fool would teach. That would be the antithesis of what a sage would teach. Sage and fool, those are the opposites. First of all, a sage would teach people to be responsible. A fool would teach people to be irresponsible. And you say, well, how would that happen? No, but does anybody actually grab a hold of somebody and say, okay, here's what you do to be irresponsible? No, that's not what they do. What they do is, by neglect, not teach people to be responsible. So if you have someone that's under your influence, you would want to teach them that whatever it is they're supposed to be doing, they are responsible for that. And if they don't do those things, they're considered irresponsible, and nobody wants to see you as irresponsible. The second thing that a sage would teach people is to be accountable. And the antithesis of that would be unaccountable on the fool side. But nobody grabs a hold of somebody and says, okay, let me teach you how to be unaccountable. No, 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 no. They teach them how to be unaccountable by not holding people accountable. Okay, this is what you were supposed to do. You did not do that. So here is what's going to happen now. That leads us to disciplined. A sage teaches people to be disciplined. A fool teaches people, by default, to be undisciplined. There has to be consequences for our actions, good and bad. And under the side of the sage... This would produce winners. If you listen to the teachings of a sage, this, this would produce, naturally, winners. And if you listen to the direction of a fool, it produces losers. That's the way it works. So 
Recently, I had a situation. I was involved in something, and in this particular situation, I really was mostly hands-off. I didn't, I didn't have interaction, but because I'm the one in charge, I'm the one that had to apologize, and I did. And when I apologized, the mom said to me, that's okay. I said to the mom, it's not okay. What we did was wrong. And it's, it's never going to be okay. Because the mom was a nice person. It's our nature. It's, a, it's our nature to go, it's okay. It's our nature to just let it be. It's our nature to not have any system of accountability because that makes us all uncomfortable. In fact, if it were to play out in front of you, let's just say I have a child I'm responsible for and something happens out in the lobby after church and it happens right in front of you. And I have to say, well, then you're not going to get this because you just did that. All of a sudden, what's going to happen to you is you're going to feel uncomfortable because it's never uncomfortable to be in front of somebody who's being held accountable. That's never, unco- that's never comfortable. It's always uncomfortable to be in front of somebody who's being held accountable. And so our feelings kick in, and then we want to just make it softer and make them not be held accountable. It does not feel good to me to hold somebody accountable. It doesn't feel good to watch somebody else go through some type of suffering because they made a mistake. But discipline is important. I've learned a lot of wisdom by being disciplined myself. It's one of those things that you can see. I don't know if you have this. We have this thing on our phone called Life 360. It's an application we put on our phones as we were getting ready to, Stephanie and I were getting ready to go to Italy. The reason why we wanted to put this on our phones is because what if we get separated in a foreign country in which we don't speak the language? And this Life360 tracks where the other person is. So you have to put the permissions on your phone to be able to do that. We still got those on our phone, and our kids did that too because they're worried about us. You know, you're going over to Italy, and we want to make sure you're okay. So we have those on our phones. One of those things, it feels a little bit invasive because... I can see, my phone alerts me. One of the kids just finished a 10-mile drive. And they went 79 miles per hour in a 60. Wow, slow down there, kid. And her phone's not fully charged. I'm going to call her and tell her, hey, plug in your phone. It just feels really weird. It feels invasive because they can do that with me too. They can see how fast I'm going, wherever I'm going, or that sort of thing. It's a, an interesting thing, though, because since I know that other people can see how fast I'm going, I want to be extra careful that I don't go too fast because I'm going to be held accountable. You do know God watches you all the time, right? Just, just a reminder. Okay, so on those things, you see God's perspective is on the sage side and man's perspective is on the fool side. And the reason why I wanted to put that up there is because from God's perspective, it is not a bad thing that people go through a little bit of suffering to learn not to do that again. People might get a speeding ticket because they were speeding through a school zone, jeopardizing the lives of little children who are trying to walk to school. You get a speeding ticket for that. The next time you see a flashing sign in a school zone, you're probably going to slow down. It's the way it works. And this can be applied to all of the Proverbs we read. We'll move on to verses 6 through 8. The righteous of the upright, righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. Once again, responsibility, accountability, and consequences. Continue with verse 9 and read through, read verse 11 as well. I'm sorry, I'm going to read verse 9 first. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. I want to remind you of James chapter 2. We're not going to go there today. You'll see that pop up behind me. James chapter 2 speaks of the tongue. James chapter 1 and chapter 2. But look at 
this. Speaking in ignorance is dangerous. If you don't know, don't talk. If you're ignorant, why speak and reveal it? Here's the problem. People like to talk when they don't know what they're talking about. Notice the verse, with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. People do this like this. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what they did? Did you hear so-and-so lost his job because he ran his mouth? Did you hear whatever it is, gossip and slander, all that kind of stuff, it destroys people. We shouldn't be doing that. And notice that second part. I don't want you to miss this, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. It's one of those things. Oftentimes we speak because we don't know. And then when we learn more, we realize, whew, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said those things. I didn't realize what was going on. Proverbs 5.11. Actually, that's wrong. I have the, you write this down if you're going to write it down. This is James chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. I'm basing it on my memory. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. How do we do that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 passage. How do we encourage one another and build one another up? Here's how you do it. You have to think a certain way to start. Instead of choosing to be judgmental towards people and critical you choose to find the good in them and encourage them. And even if you see bad in them, you try to encourage them to do better rather than cut them down. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. When you see mistakes like that where I put something up behind me and it's the wrong passage and I have to rely on my memory, now you know. So you could do that with me. You could go, oh, that preacher messed up again. Tell you what, I'm going to be messing up all the time. I make all kinds of errors. You should always check my verses. But this also should show you that I actually do a little bit more manually than you probably thought when I create these slides. But I want to show you something that's um, an interesting thing. First, I'm going to show you a slide that uh, an image is going to come up of a, of a switch. It's an on and off switch. And this became important one of the times that I went back to visit in Stephanie's hometown of Rich Hill, Missouri, because um, it's, I like to say these things, like uh, my, my mother-in-law, uh, she didn't care for me very much early on, and now she loves me. Let me tell you why. <laughs> it's because early on, I was young and ignorant and foolish, and as I get older, I'm a, I have a little bit more wisdom, so that's why I'm a little bit more tolerable to her. But she likes to use me to fix things when I go back. One of those things I needed to fix was a light that was on the back porch. And I, I, I installed this light. There were, the wiring was there from before. From It's an old house, over 100 years old. But they needed a new light fixture, so I put this new light up there, and light fixture and years ago, and it was working just fine. But it quit working. What? Why? Don't get it. So I go back and I check the wiring. I'm working up there on a ladder trying to see what's going on. Nothing seems out of place. Nothing seems wrong. So I trace the wiring. And in this old house, somebody had put a light switch way up high where you'd never think to look for a light switch. And that was the only problem. It just needed to be turned on. Light works. Somebody had turned it off and forgotten that they had turned it off and forgotten about the light switch. I tell you this for a reason. I want to show you an image of a brain. You'll see that uh, behind me. And that's just a, an artist's rendition of what it might look like if you could see inside somebody's head, there's the brain. And I want to remind you of that word that we talked about earlier, and we've talked about it before, the word repent, which means change your mind. That's the New Testament meaning, at least. It means change your mind. And what God is trying to get us to do with these Proverbs as we read it is to, He's trying to get us to flip a switch in our brain. To, okay, you can choose to think one way, or you can choose to think another. And God is trying to get us to flip the switch and think His way. 
And the reason why I wanted to show you these images is because I want I to make it very clear to you. You can choose to think like God. He gives you a snapshot of his mind in this book. And if he's telling us this is, these are words of wisdom by the wisest man gifted by God that walked this planet aside from God in the flesh, which was Jesus, Solomon, if he's given us these little tidbits of wisdom, we can read them, believe them, and live them. We can choose to put these Proverbs in our brains. And guess what? By doing this, when we're thinking like God wants us to think, we can have the mind of God. You, your decisions, if you have it, the switch flipped correctly to think like God wants you to think, meaning you're going to read this, you're going to learn it, you're going to know it, if you can think like God wants you to think, you're, you're having the mind of God. And if you do that, you're going to make better decisions in life. And if you want to be a person that rather than tearing people down, you actually build people up, a person that doesn't criticize as much as a person that looks at people with optimism and hope, flip that switch. Because you think about it. I did not plan to have that 1 Thessalonians 5 error up there behind me a minute ago, but it happened. We all are capable of making bigger mistakes than that I am. That's minimal. The stupid stuff I've done, that is nothing. We're all capable of making mistakes bigger than that. But God still chooses to love us. He chooses to look past our flaws and love us anyway. And he wants us to think like that. He wants us to see others and choose to love them despite their flaws, despite their problems, despite their errors. And if you can flip that switch, you can think like that. Rather than being critical all the time, you can be encouraging. And I want to remind you of this word, neuroplasticity. Do you all remember that? That is what happens. That's legitimate science, that when you think a certain way over a period of time, your brain rewires itself and actually change, it takes on a different form so that you more naturally do that. So the person that goes around, it's always negative, 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 negative. They're that way because they chose to be that way and it's stuck. You know how your mother used to say, if you make that face, it's going to stick. Well, guess what? If you think like that, it sticks. Don't think so negatively, so critical, so discouraging. How about you choose to flip the switch and think like God wants you to think? One of the ways you can start getting your brain to be in that on switch to think like God when it comes to building others up instead of destroying others is you start, you can start today before you leave this building. You could have a conversation with whoever's in front of you, choose to find something good or think about something good you already know, and tell them, you know what I appreciate about you? This. And what you're doing, if you try that, is you're essentially flipping the switch. I'm going to think like God wants me to think about this person. And you could do the same thing with your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates and your family. And what ends up happening is you end up building people up rather than tearing them down. And what ends up happening as a a side effect, a benefit, is people want to be around you more because rather than tearing them down, you're building them up. It's a whole lot more fun to be around somebody that sees good in you and tells you about it than somebody who's always finding faults. So I'm purposely trying to flip your switch in your brain. God's trying to do this through me right now. We'll continue with verses 10 and 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Every now and then we'll come across proverbs that are uncomfortable. I mean, you know, you talk about movies. If you talk about watching a movie, you'll, you'll find that in a movie that's got a villain, typically the ending is that the villain gets his or hers. They get it. 
Feels like a great movie then. But isn't it better in reality if they end up repenting and becoming a nice person? That's better. Just doesn't make for a great movie. <laughs> but it's better. That's a better result. And sometimes you'll come across a proverb like this, like, oh yeah, when a wicked person dies, people rejoice. It's because they feel oppressed. It's a reality. It's not the best ending, but it's a reality. And every now and then you'll come across a proverb that's uncomfortable. It's true, but it would be better if it was a different way. We'll continue with verse... Well, we're going to continue in a minute. I want to remind you of God's perspective versus man's perspective in this next slide. As we read Proverbs chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So the first part, verse 12, person who belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. The implication is you have the dirt on your neighbor. You know some juicy gossip. You even know things that happen to be true about your neighbor. A man of understanding does not share that. Keeps it to himself. Now, it gets a little bit more uncomfortable here because this flies in the face of modern um, teaching in churches. I'll repeat that. Modern teaching in churches has scripture that's in conflict right here. I'll read it, verse 13. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. We're going to see more of this as we go through Proverbs, where the wise Solomon himself reminds us, by the inspiration of God, this is the Word of God, that you are supposed to, at times, keep secrets. I'm sure you've been to conferences or you've read in books or you've heard in churches, keeping secrets is evil, that's wicked, that's deceitful. No, it's not. Let's just flesh this out a little bit. Let's say you, and I, and I want you to take this very personally. Let's say you say to me as we're leaving today, preacher, I need to talk to you about something. Okay, so we have a private conversation that no one can hear. And you reveal to me something that's been weighing heavy on you that you've chosen not to share with anyone. You need prayer. It's bothering you, so you share it with me. But before you share it, you say, can, when I say this, it's in confidence, right? Yes. So what that means is there's an expectation that I don't repeat this to anyone, including my own wife. <clears throat> and you might say, well, that's disturbing. You start keeping secrets with your wife, that's going to lead to all kinds of problems. You, you, here's what happens. People love to try to pull secrets that you have. Oh, come on, they told you the secret? What's the secret? I want to know it. If someone has told you something in confidence, there is an expectation that that dies with you, that you don't repeat that. That goes to the grave. And someone who's trying to pull the information from you is not trustworthy. Think about it. If that person knows that someone shared something in confidence with you and they feel like you can cross the line with them, oh, come on, I'm not going to tell anyone. Come on, you got to tell me. i got to know the secret. If that person believes that they have a right to other people's confidential information and it should be shared with them, you should cross the line in that confidentiality thing, that person doesn't understand the boundaries of confidentiality and they will share it with someone else. And they will share anything you tell them in confidence with other people. So you share something with me in confidence, would you not expect that I would keep that to myself and take it to my grave? Of course. 
well, you're a preacher, though. That's different. No, anybody, anytime anybody tells something that's in confidence, it is to be kept in confidence. <laughs> you, and you, we have all these things we come up with. Like, no, you got to tell me all the secrets. Every secret, everything. No, you don't. <laughs> you say, well, what about a husband and wife? I, you know what? Some things enter your head that you should not be sharing with your spouse. You shouldn't have thought it. Get it out of your head. And don't cause them tormenting thoughts by sharing those thoughts that entered your head that shouldn't have entered. And you might think, preacher, you're, you're saying something that's different than I've heard other preachers say. I don't really care. Read your Bible and do what it says. A person who goes about slandering reveals secrets. And by the way, you're going to learn more. As we go through Proverbs, you're going to learn that it is a godly person who is able to keep a thing confidential. And it specifically says, keeps a secret. It's a gossip that betrays confidential things. It's a gossip that shares secrets. You shouldn't be doing things sinfully and causing harm to your relationships, including your marriage. That's a different subject. I'm talking about confidentiality, and that's what this is talking about. Proverbs 11:14, 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. What this is talking about is exactly what Solomon's son Rehoboam did not do. He had a whole bunch of counselors. He had good counsel, but he chose to not listen to them. Instead of listening to the wisdom that was given him, he went to his friends and he told them what he wanted them to say. So they told him, oh yeah, that's right. And that's what we tend to do. Instead of going to people and saying what should be done, we like to go to people and tell our side of the story so that they will get on our side and validate what we are doing. When it's better to actually get counsel and follow it so that we can succeed and not fall. Okay, verse I know some of you are still hung up on the whole secret thing. That's okay. There's a lot of things here in Proverbs where you need to flip a switch and understand there actually is a thing such as confidentiality, but we'll move on. Proverbs 11:15. whoever puts up a security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. That might sound weird to you. Like, what? Maybe I, I think I might have done that. Well, let me remind you of what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 in the Sermon on the Mount. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, it's like when a kid goes, I swear on the Bible. I swear on the Bible. I promise. Why do you have to do that? The rest of the time, are you not trustworthy? Why would anybody ever have to say, okay, this time I really mean it. All the other times you were not Meaning it? And you say, well, that's, that's an isolated verse, that, well, in Proverbs and Jesus. Come on, Jeff. Well, let me read to you out of the New Testament book of wisdom, James. Look what he says in chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. See, the problem is if you have to add to it, yes, I promise, yes, I mean it this time. That means the rest of the time you can't be trustworthy. So tell the truth, be honest. You shouldn't have to couch it in, okay, all right, look, I'm really telling you the truth. Why would you have to say that? Unless you're not telling the truth, the rest of the time you're talking. You understand? Does that make a difference? I hope you understand. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 16, a gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. You remember before when I said sometimes there's an uncomfortable proverb, it's not telling us how to behave, it's just telling us how it is. And the reality is sometimes violent men get riches. But hang on to this part, a gracious woman gets honor. I love that. Verse 17, and we'll read a verse 20. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, 
but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Once again, pleasing the Lord is at the heart of this, isn't it? Verses 21 to 24. Be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds, and what he should give, withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. I just want to remind you of what I said last week. There's sometimes in Proverbs, you just want to highlight, you want to underline, you want to asterisk, you want to write little things out in the column. Proverbs for you just might be that place in your Bible where you're doing a lot of underlining and highlighting. And let me give you one that really stands out here to me. And that is verse 22. So you'll see it underlined up behind me. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a woman, beautiful woman, without discretion. So he's talking about particularly a woman that everybody looks at and thinks, that's a beautiful woman. But it disgusts the Lord. It disgusts the Lord when she has no discretion. A beautiful woman who flaunts herself and is not discreet, uh, doesn't keep herself covered a beautiful woman who's doing, is dressing inappropriately and drawing attention to herself is not pleasing to the Lord. It's like taking valuable things and attaching them to a pig. It's not okay. A woman's beauty becomes even more highlighted when she is not exposing herself. Because a woman who does that is disgusting to the Lord. Uh, look at this other one you might want to underline, uh, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, yet another, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. God is trying to encourage us to be generous, and generosity tends to bring blessings. Stinginess or greed tends to bring curses. That's why I like to underline verses like that. We've only got a couple more slides of scriptures to look at as we navigate through 30 verses this morning. We'll pick up with verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Don't you love how Solomon uses practical things in life to expose the wisdom of God. Verses 29 through 31. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be a servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. So he buttons up this particular chapter with this idea that here on earth, we will reap what we sow. Not just in the hereafter, but here on earth, how we behave, well, there will be consequences. I want to remind you of three slides we've already looked at today. That's how I want to wrap up the message today. The first one is of the sage and the fool, because some of us are responsible for other people. Maybe it's at our work. 
Maybe it's in our home. Maybe it's even here in this church. You want to be a sage? You want to be a fool? Do we want to do things God's way, certainly from God's perspective, or do we want to do it from man's perspective? In this world in which we live, man's perspective is definitely antithetical to God's perspective. It's different, but we're not supposed to be like the world, are we? And I want to show you the other slide, the one that I was talking about Stephanie's hometown and the, and the light switch that wasn't turned on. So the light can't come on if the switch isn't turned on. And it's the same thing for you in your brain. If you want to repent in a way that's pleasing to the Lord so that your brain can hardwire itself with a neuroplasticity, it can actually change and become so that you can have a mind that is like God's. If you want to make your mind align with the Word of God, you have to flip the, that switch. The, the, you can't be in the off position. You have to decide, I want to think like God wants me to think. I want to read this. And even if you don't get it, you might be reading a verse like, I don't, I don't get it. Read it again. And if you don't get it, pray. Go back and read it later. But God is right. When it comes to man's wisdom versus God's wisdom, God will always prevail. Even if you don't get it, learn it. Eventually, you'll understand. And then your brain will have that switch flipped on, and you'll make better choices that will please the Lord. So it leads me to the other slide I wanted to show you. Because when you talk about, we talked at the beginning, remember about the false balance? Remember what it was about? There's several things there. Cheating and unfairness, honesty and fairness, integrity and character, and pleasing the Lord. When it comes down to it, isn't it all about trying to please the Lord? Not ourselves, please the Lord. Not somebody else, please the Lord. It's about pleasing the Lord. Let's pray. God, help us. Forgive us when we are off focus. When our switch is flipped off in our brain and we're choosing to think in a way that doesn't align with your word. Forgive us when we fall into the thinking of the world, when we become so much like the world. Help us to think in a way that's pleasing to you so that you may be glorified and honored and pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.